This podcast is supported by the Oxford Method, an online UK university preparatory program designed to successfully prepare international students for Britain's top universities. As a patron of the show, you can get up to 40% off their over 30 course options, as well as their university preparatory services. In addition to those crazy discounts, you also get access to extra bonus episodes, patron-only content, ad-free episodes, and much more. So why wait around? Head over to patreon.com slash coffee and cocktails podcast and sign up today. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Coffee and Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Wand. We have the pleasure today of listening to Lecture of Pakistan Studies at Comstats University in Islamabad, Sonia Gelzeb Abbasi, who will be talking with us today about concerns surrounding Muslim women's identity. But for this bonus episode, rather than ask what drink you were having for the show, Sonia, would you like to start? All right. Thank you. Thank you for, again, for giving me this opportunity at your space. And yeah, I, I, I look forward to this episode. Yeah, well, so, I'm looking forward to what you have to say. So feel right. free to dive in. So basically, I will just try to put things into perspective that, uh, you know, being a Muslim woman myself, um, I was a little kid when the 9-11 happened, right? Uh, back in the days so you know in a in a uh, talking about the muslim woman identity it is very relevant to talk about history what happened and you know how this uh, you know the dilemma of muslim woman identity transpired right so in a politicized global context uh, in the decade after 9-11 you know the headscarf became a renewed focus of global debate and in those contentions over the Muslim woman dress, the concerns about the immigration and assimilation were um, sort of expressed through the language of the women's rights, right? So, you know, when 9-11 happened, I was not very mature enough to understand what is happening, right? And then I grew up and I started studying IR, you know, and everything, what is happening in the world. And then I observed recently that nothing has changed. Even today, you know, a lot of debates are framed through the women's right and the women's dress. For instance, recently, I'm not sure if you have uh, you gotten chance to uh, to go through what is happening on the social media. So Vogue France, basically the Instagram handle of the Vogue France. They recently shared a picture of a non-Muslim white woman wearing a headscarf. And the caption of that picture was, yes to the headscarf. You know, and that sort of stirred a debate around the world that about the double standards of the France, that on one hand, that a lot of pe people argued that you are telling Muslim women not to wear hijab and then you're telling a non-Muslim woman that it's it's sort of it's fashion and vogue when a non-Muslim woman do it and it becomes a threat when a Muslim wo woman wear hijab, right? So that, you know, I was sort of a very disappointed as well that in even in today's world, in 21st century, you know, Muslim women are still you know, framed through these, these, through their deaths. Because obviously, even in religion, if we talk about religion, because we are talking about the dilemma of Muslim woman identity, even in Islam, there is no compulsion, right? 
you cannot tell women to wear a hijab or wear a burqa similarly you cannot tell women to take off your hijab or your, your burqa so these are the things which makes me really you know disappointed and then again you might have heard about the recent you know when the taliban took control in afghanistan after the us military's complete withdrawal from afghanistan again you know there was a sort of debate which uh, started happening in the western print and social media everyone sort of got concerned about the rights of the afghan women they wanted to save afghan women from the bearded brown muslim men i'm not suggesting that that women are not sort of suffering under the taliban regime but you know the the the, the afghanistan issue is very multifaceted and you know it's complex and you know analyzing it through the oppression and liberation lens of the muslim women is it 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 is a very restrictive framework and it does not put forth any you know sort of substantial solution for the afghanistan humanitarian crisis for instance that was very interesting i was just right now before this podcast started i was going through the instagram handle of angelina juli you know she literally because she literally became active on instagram she posted her first picture on instagram after taliban took control in afghanistan and that picture was a letter from a afghanistan teenage girl to the angelina juli apparently that she was asking to save angelina uh, she was asking angelina juli and the western world to save us from taliban right and two days ago as well she shared a picture a letter from a afghan teen girl again it's it's i mean this is a good thing that you know the world is and the western media is talking is concerned about the uh, you know um, about the education of the afghan girls and the Tal- taliban regime but you know where the western world was when the afghan women were suffering under the us military occupation and you know nobody none of these women are talking about the prevailing humanitarian crisis or the crisis or the not they are not even talking about the complicity of the west and the us in afghanistan who created this mess at the first place so everyone is concerned about the you know women's right and women's education which is a good thing but again the you know this is one side they're only looking at, at the problem from the from their own frameworks which they want to see maybe so i would like to you know since we are talking about the dilemma of muslim women identity the muslim women are still struggling for a fair representation in the western world you know so the western portrayal of the muslim woman is like a homogeneous creature right oppressed by her religion culture and men no there is a lot to muslim woman than this these you know connotations and again you know they are particularly framed through the debates of violence veil honor again i am not suggesting this that there are no problems in the muslim world there are a lot of problems there are a lot of patriarchal injustices to talk about in the muslim world muslim world even you know the um, the 
internal critique by the Muslim women, you know, the feminist voices, they often, you know, criticize Muslim world that they could not even enable uh, the, uh, they could not even provide safe public spaces to the Muslim woman, which is true. Women are still struggling to, you know, find space, safe public spaces in the Muslim world. But again, you know, how the Western way frame Muslim women, this is deeply problematic as well, you know, like Muslim woman is not a monolithic identity. It has a lot of, you know, every region, every culture has their own diverse set of Muslim woman identity. So again, I would like to, you know, add the work of Leila Abu Lugur. Who, who, who wrote a book, Do Muslim Women Need Saving, right? That book actually gave me language and framework to uh, explore this phenomenon of Western hypocrisy and their deep desire to liberate Muslim women in order to authorize various forms of intervention, including military intervention. So her work was a very, very groundbreaking work, uh, you know, and to, you know, to, um, you know, to, comprehend this phenomenon of Western hypocrisy, how they use sort of uh, a Muslim woman or the right, uh, they talk about the rights of the Muslim woman to, in order to authorize their sort of military adventures in, in, in the Muslim world. And again, I would like to add the work of Sabah Mahmood as well. So who basically proposed a critique of white liberal, neo-imperialist, feminist and anthropologist who would go to the Middle Eastern countries and who would study and analyze Muslim women from a diverse geography within their white liberal conceptional framework. So she sort of, you know, observed this, that these white anthropologists and feminists, they would go to the Muslim world and they would suggest this, that if a, if, if a Muslim woman is observant, she's oppressed. And likely if she is liberal, she's free. So she sort of deconstructed this European conception of Muslim woman. And then she said that let's, you know, stop analyzing Muslim women through oppression and liberation lens. And she said a very beautiful thing, which personally, you know, sort of resonated with my, uh, with my ideology that for some Muslim women, the idea of freedom is submitting to the higher authority. Yeah. So not all women but and I'll be honest, I have I have never came across any woman in my life who took hijab by force. I'll be honest, right? And I have hardly came across any woman who would practice their religion out of fear of their kin, right? For a lot of women, you know, sticking to the religious belief was a is a form of empowerment, right? So again, you know, we need to have these conversations. We need to have real conversations about the identity of the Muslim woman. For instance, I was heavily inspired by the work of Leila and Sabah Mahmood, but you know, there who the, those you know uh, feminist voices in the Muslim world who are critical of Sabah's and Leila's work, they often criticize them that how much support their work gave to the authentic feminist voices within the Muslim world. 
who are you know actually working to challenge the patriarchal injustices in their countries or who are working to reform you know patriarchal laws and who are you know sort of changing a narrative there because like i said that there are a lot of problems regarding you know um regarding um, muslim uh, women you know uh, sort of uh, freedom there are no safe sub, uh, public spaces in the muslim world Mus you know women have to struggle for that and there are a lot of other patriarchal injustices as well but i think this is and again the you know the internal critique the internal feminist voices from the muslim world also you know sort of criticize leila and saba by suggesting this that these diaspora writers are oblivious to the real problems what the native women face so i think it's a very sort of a mm, very interesting debate um and, you know and then you know when we see certain feminist voices within the muslim um, countries they often you know they see western world as their savior as well and they when you know when we try to argue with them that see the western media and the western feminists or anthropologists always dissect muslim women through oppression and liberation lens those internal feminist voices you know they come up with this argument that see at least the western world is ahead of us when it comes to women's right right and you know i observe this pattern these women who who are not critical of the western idea of muslim women they are often you know praised by the western world and then they say that see our native country did nothing to promote our work but the western world can see our work you know the us embassies in those muslim countries they give space to the those women so again it's a very you know sort of a intricate debate and then you know there was another aghwan artist i was just looking at her instagram handle fatima husain she's a wonderful artist photographer from afghanistan who was rescued from afghanistan and recently she's in paris she she moved to paris after taliban took control in afghanistan so she also sort of see that she thinks that we need western intervention in afghanistan to save the afghan women and she is now heavily promoted by the western world she's going to the oh by the way recently there was a, a, a um, there was a in european par european parliament there was a conference going on on afghanistan on afghan women and you know they gathered all of the one women who are um, you know very uh, popular on social media and who are doing incredible work as well and they were having a talk with the white men there and they were telling the white men that this is happening back home and we need your help to save us from the mess so yeah the the dynamics of the muslim woman need saving and the identity of muslim woman it has totally changed today's world yeah i mean i think you you bring up some really interesting points um some years ago and i i know i talked to you about this before the recording um for my masters program i did uh i did some 
<clears throat> work on the headscarf affair. So when I did my master's, it was, uh, I believe, 2007 to 2008. And um, as you can imagine, doing this sort of work in the West, I'm obviously going to, you know, I'm kind of limited on the sort of resources that I can use based on the Western institution that I'm with. So um, I wanted to question the concept of the headscarf affair in France and the removal of la voile um, that they called um, in schools, especially in state education. And I was questioning this whole sort of idea behind um, sort of what I felt was a hypocrit um, uh, sort of like a hypocritical approach where you could wear a cross around your neck, but then you couldn't wear a headscarf. And I just thought, well, that to me seems quite contradictory because why can you have one and not have the other? So I read a book about, because um, I think the headscarf affair really sort of took off in 2004 and in France, and that's where I was focusing my research. Um, and I read a book by a guy named Bowen who questioned sort of the policies behind it. And when I wrote this um, paper, I was required to look at Western feminist theory. And that seemed to, not that I particularly enjoy theory, I'll be honest, I really don't enjoy it. But I do know it has a purpose, even though some people treat theory as if it's fact, it's still theory, it hasn't been proven, I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, but I was told I needed to have a massive portion of my research on the three waves of Western feminism. And I remember reading this only because my my supervisor at the time had insisted that this was mandatory and feeling like this doesn't work. Like we're talking about white women in the 1950s compared to those in the 60s and 70s. And what does this have to do with women who aren't in the West? It just seems to me like we're talking about apples and oranges and these are not remotely related, but because he was my supervisor and I didn't really have a choice, I read just like heaps and heaps and heaps of this material. And then it was only at the very end that I was able to dedicate time to the stories of the women who, like you said, they wore the veil out of choice. They wore that because they wanted to. And, and then trying to construct this argument where I felt was completely disjointed but it was what I, the box I needed to tick. And so when you started talking about how, you know, we have these Western impositions, um, I, I, I just kept thinking about that paper and thinking, well, at least I'm not the only one that thought this was a crazy idea to somehow like merge these two very different approaches and then try to make sense of something that to me just didn't make sense at all. Um, and I guess what I'd be curious to know from your perspective, because I am uh, a little bit familiar with um, Abu Lakad and Sabah Mahmoud and um, uh, I think even Talal Mahmoud, if I said it yeah, yeah, correctly. Yeah. His yeah, work yeah, was the only one I actually felt like, it was the only one I could really find for one. And then secondly, it was the only one I actually thought like had a, a non, <laughs> I mean, he, he did a lot of work in the West, but at least I could step out of it just a tiny bit. Um, I'd just be curious to know, <laughs> This idea of the sort of Western feminism, one of the things that sort of irks me is that we're kind of imposing ourselves onto others and we're not taking time necessarily to think about things from the other person's perspective. And I think it'd be interesting, at least for me, to understand what 
could feminism look like potentially from a non-Western perspective? And I realize it's a big question. The world's huge. But how do you think that might look? And what do you think it would be important for those in the West to understand? All right. Very interesting question. So before I answer this question, I would like to, you know, share something with you that there's a professor at University of Bristol, Terrell Carver. Pardon me if I could not pronounce it right. He's he teaches gender studies there and he's a he wrote an article which you know stayed with me and he said that feminism is a theory of woman oppression you know mm, mm. so you know the like uh, he, he his argument basically was that we understand feminism through oppression of the woman right right so okay. how the you know uh, so and and then you know he 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 came up with this proposition by you know by observing um, by observing and by asking these questions from his seminar size class where he taught feminist theory so he would ask this question from a from a uh, from very you know i think postgraduate students or graduate level students i'm not sure he he would ask this question from the uh, from their students from uh, his students that who causes this oppression you know and then he came up with a very you know uh, very interesting conclusion that nobody said nobody directly blamed men you know they would say it's sexism it's patriarchy it's culture it's religion and he was he was very intrigued by this that where's the m word you know and then i wrote an article to have a cross you know culture sort of a comparison because i got this opportunity to teach feminist theory in pakistan as well to a baby you know undergraduate students and you know when we would talk about feminism i think it would be one of the one of the most interesting lecture of my semester you know everyone everyone would participate had and had a word to say right and you know what what i observed the women there in pakistan they would openly you know hold men responsible for their oppression so that was very interesting and you know i even shared this with taril you know i shared this observation with him and he he you know he gave me really kind feedback of that observation so and then i observed that maybe you know this was just my personal opinion and observation that islam as a religion has given them autonomy to think you know independently as compared to the white male you know institutional structures which are oppressive to women which are intrinsically designed in a way to oppress women this was just my observation and then for me what feminism is again coming back to the question i think it's it's it i could um, you know i cannot uh, uh, you know sort of explain that in a very explicit way or in very clear cut words because it varies from person to person every other girl student and a boy student of uh, you know of my university they had they had the different idea of feminism in their head so again you know the idea of the feminism there is 
and you know my uh, students who were barely i think they were first year students of their undergraduate degree they would openly call themselves feminists you know do you be surprised to know because in the western world we would see that oh my god the the women in the east are oppressed and they are sitting in their homes no they will openly talk about feminism and there was a lot of you know debate going on there in uh, in, in islamabad pakistan and there was a sort of a aurat march as well you know the women march and they openly debate about the women's right they even talk about the intersectional feminism they even talk about the queer you know rights in the in the in these women's marches so again things are changing for good you know women are on the streets they are talking about feminism they are challenging the patriarchal injustices they are challenging those patriarchal laws that were put in place by the male men there so yeah the the, the idea of feminism i think in 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 my society in where i come from it it is very progressive so yeah i mean i think that that's firstly i think that that's wonderful um but also i think that it also speaks to the importance of how much the west doesn't know and i think that is something that needs to be touched upon i mean we um you know you, you, it, it's like anything you know i i live in the uk and i grew up in the us and so before i went to the uk my my experience was based on where i grew up and when i where i grew up the first thought wasn't guns and gun laws and people shooting each other. I mean, you know, there are some areas where that could happen for sure. But um, I'm just saying that there were plenty of places where that wasn't the case. And then I moved to the UK. And now the only thing I ever hear about my home country is guns and everybody getting shot in the face. And it makes it seem like the US, as soon as you walk off the plane, you're dead. You're a dead man. And I know for a fact that if you go to my suburb of where I grew up, you won't be. I would hope not. Um, but there is the, that's the message that's being sent to people. And I and I've had colleagues who are like, you know, I'm not really interested in going. Or they have it's it's not there's never anything positive, like news wise, that comes out of it. And then you start to realize, well, at least for me, it's like, but this is the same thing that the media is producing in other countries as well, is that they'll see a, a band of people and I'm not saying that that isn't you know it shouldn't be addressed but that's the only thing we're focusing on is that and we're ignoring all these other discussions like really interesting discussions like you said of women who are going on the streets and they're they're just holding up a flag and they're saying look we have a right to our opinions and and that there is more than just you know one person it's not a solitary person who's a radical but that actually there are these debates happening and I just I wonder sometimes, um, and I think this is a big question. I don't even know if there's an answer, but why, why in the West do we ignore that? And I'm wondering if you have any any thoughts on that. I think it, I think the responsibility on is on the researchers and anthropologists as well, because you know we should try to research and study people in their diversity. You know, mm. in their particular regions and cultures and countries for instance i 
belong from a very suburb village in 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 KPK province in Pakistan, right? You know, we have tribes within our village as well. Okay. And within our village, even the tribes amongst a small village are very different. How they how their attitudes are, how their lifestyles are, how their eating eating patterns are, how they dress up. So just imagine if we paint a one region, Middle Eastern Muslim countries with the same brush, how restrictive this framework is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think about this. It's, it's funny you mentioned this because I can remember years ago, because in the States you have different environments as well, different, you know, what constitutes American versus one place versus another, right? And I, I can remember you know, even like dating somebody and, you know, this person found out that I, you know, came from a certain background, religious background and, and he told his friends and his friends were like, ooh, and I'm like, what's with the ooh? <laughs> like, I don't understand. And he's like, well, because in my podunk area where he grew up, there were assumptions that were made. And I was like, well, you need to step back and realize, A, I'm not from where you live, and B, like, who cares? And realizing that something that to me wasn't a big deal for his, for him, it was. And, you know, I think that that is, it's interesting that those things aren't just limited to us. And I think that's the other reason these discussions need to be had. We're not so special. Like there are other people who also have their own ways of handling things and, you know, processing their cultures in their own way. And I think that that is also worth addressing. But to get back to some of the other things we'd mentioned. So we've talked a bit about Western feminism. We've talked about some of the issues regarding, you know, some of the dynamics involved. Um, but I guess what I'd like to know from you is how, when addressing Western feminism and I and I we can always talk about other things as well but how do you feel like it drowns out others voices um, potentially can you rephrase your question sorry yeah so um, we talked about the fact that um, you know this idea of um, you know the the feminism in the West sort of taking over the discussion of um, how how the West needs to be processed, how it needs to, you know, kind of project itself into other countries and that savior, savior complex you've talked about in the past. What I'd like to know from your perspective is how does Western feminism have the potential to drown out those voices, the ones that you talked about before, where there are women in the streets who, you know, are talking about people's rights, they're talking about, you know, defending, not even defending, but like, promoting their interests. How do you think as, as, a, as a Western community, we um, prevent those voices from, from being um, heard a bit more? So it's not just the media where we talked about before, but maybe taking it that step further and looking at it from a feminist perspective. All right. I think um, before I, you know, sort of answer this question, you know, uh, I would li like to add this, what we were discussing earlier that, you know, what's the point of anthropology and what's the point of going to the far-flung areas when we have already decided what is good or bad for them right you know like this is the problem this was the problem with the you know feminist 
anthropologists who, who researched the Muslim women in the past that they already had this preconceived idea in their head that, you know, taking off hijab or taking off burqa is, is a form of liberation for the woman without understanding what the native women want, right? So again, now coming back to your answer, which you are, which you just asked me, and to the question which you just asked me, I think it's uh, again, like I said, that this debate about the you know feminist uh, debates in the Muslim world it has evolved a great deal, right? So another observation which was uh, very uh, you know interesting that you know. There are certain, you know, West promotes certain feminist voices who blame religion for the for the oppression of the woman, for the misogynist practices. Um, so if if there are feminist voices in the Muslim world who blame Islam, right, or any other religion for the for the you know patriarchal injustices in the society, the Western world would promote those women, right? But like I said earlier, on the other hand, you know, these uh, feminist, secular feminist voices, they would suggest that, yeah, we, we need separation of the state and the religion because religion, there's, you know, reclaiming feminist rights within the religion has a lot of limitations, right? They argue this. So, again, what, you know, I'm not sure how to answer what you just asked because it's so intricate. Because yeah, but, sorry, yeah, yeah. Go on. you know, even after the it, you know, this digital revolution, things are going on at very fast pace. Like I said, in even in Pakistan, women are talking about the rights of the queer and non-binary gender people. I have friends. Who you know who openly talk about the you know protecting the rights of the uh, gender diverse people back home. So I think what the Western world shows us that it's just tip of the iceberg. What is happening in the native areas, but again, due to the technology and due to these digital spaces like Instagram, TikTok, things are changing. Right, the native approach or the native frameworks are being highlighted. They are being promoted. And I think these, you know, digital natives, the thinking of the digital natives is changing. The Western digital natives, their thinking is changing about the East. Okay. So I think a lot of credit goes to these digital spaces, which provide you safe spaces to, you know, openly talk about um, certain narratives. Yeah. And would you say that these spaces could be a really good way to include non-Western feminism into the debate, the debate on women's rights? Absolutely. 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 Because I, I myself benefited from a lot of groups on Instagram and, you know, where we have constructive, you know, debates surrounding this uh, phenomenon, you know. So, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Um, well, I know we could talk about this for ages and ages, but I have to say, um, thank you so much. Um, that's it from us at Coffee and Cocktails with your host, Dr. Ann Wand. And I'd like to thank Sonia again for her wonderful talk this afternoon. 
If you enjoyed listening to this fascinating show, make sure to like, subscribe, leave a review, and consider becoming a patron. Starting at one pound per month, patrons get early access to ad-free episodes, bonus content, video interviews, and much, much more. Just go to patreon.com slash coffee and cocktails podcast and sign up today. Otherwise, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week.